Well, sometimes a product bursts on the scene announcing how revolutionary it is, how it's going to change everything. Um, how many cat lovers do we have in the room? Cat owners, cat lovers? Okay, a handful of you. So have you seen this product? This is going to change your relationship with your cat forever. It is called the licky brush, right? So it is a brush that you place in your mouth that looks like a tongue, and you can brush your cat by... <laughs> Now, licking is a sign of social bonding with cats. And so I, I, now I don't get cats and I don't, I don't get licking your cat. Uh, but, but I do, uh, I do get the idea of, of being excited about something that you think is going to change everything. So last Sunday was our day. Last Sunday was the day in which we proclaimed that everything has changed. Uh, we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ and how it changes everything. And it, it was quite a, quite a weekend. There was 1,500 people here, uh, 200 at our Huntington campus. I mean, everybody came out. I mean, it's, you know, you, you bring out the Chick-fil-A, you do, you do the whole thing. I mean, it was a big deal. Uh, guess what we're doing this Sunday? We are celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Guess what we're doing next Sunday? We're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is not something that happened in isolation 2,000 years ago. It is something that continues on today. And every week we have a, a big idea, something that kind of helps guide us, kind of a golden thread through this. So here's a big idea I want you to see as we talk through our message today. It's this, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ created an unstoppable movement. The resurrection created an unstoppable movement. We have been, if you're, if you're new to Beach Point, we have been spending uh, a number of weeks going through the Bible, and we've been using this resource called the story, and, that, and the, the story is an abridged, it's not the Bible, but it's an abridged chronological version of the Bible, so it gives us 31 of the, kind of the key stories. If, if you have never read this before, if you're new to the Bible, I would encourage you um, to grab a copy on Amazon. They're, they're pretty cheap. But, um, and you can go back, you can listen to the messages at beachpoint.com. But it gives you this idea, and we have every week, we have three goals. So one is to look at one of these key stories uh, uh, in chronological order to see them kind of line up. But as we're watching these stories happen, what we're seeing is it's not just what we call these lower stories, but we're seeing God's upper story, this grand story. And what we're discovering, and my hope is for you, what you're discovering or you will discover, is that the Bible is not a collection of stories. It is the story of God. It is the story of what God is doing in the world. And if there's a theme, there's one, one big idea we see in the Bible is that you were created to be in a relationship with God. You were created for that relationship. Uh, in fact, most of the Bible we see is about how God is working to redeem and restore that relationship. And I, I don't want to cheat too much, but the last chapter is all about how we are destined to be in relationship with God forever, to, to dwell with him forever. And so as we've been going through this, uh, what we're seeing is we're at a point now where the story isn't over, but we are, we are arriving both in, in our study, but also what we know of these days is we are in these last, this last chapter, this last part of it. And so uh, the last six chapters of the story that we've been looking at have been about the life of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and particularly the last two weeks, we've been looking at his death and his resurrection. And so as we've been walking through those things, what we're starting to see is how profound that is, how, what a big thing that is. And key to that now is uh, the life of Jesus 
is characterized in the Bible in the first four books of what's called the New Testament. Uh, So there are four accounts. They're all looking from different angles at the same story, the story of Jesus. Well, today we're going to enter into the fifth book of the New Testament, the book of Acts. We'll be there this week and next week. And we're going to look at what happened next. He, 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 He comes. He dies for our sins, just as the scriptures said he would. He was buried. He uh, rose from the grave just as the scripture said he would. So now what? What happens next? If this truly is an unstoppable movement, what happened next? What happened after Easter? What, what changed? Why is it that here we are 2,000 years later in this little beach community? Why are we gathered together instead of being at the beach to talk about this still? It's because the resurrection of Jesus Christ created an unstoppable movement. Now, it's fascinating. So here in this fifth book of the, of the New Testament, Jesus is only in this book for about nine verses. In the first chapter, he comes, he tells some stuff, and then he darts into heaven, okay? But Jesus continues to be the main character. And what, I, what you're gonna see is how he continues to be the main character. And so as we, we are looking at that, join me. If you have a Bible, if you want a Bible in front of you, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. Or if you're following along in the story, writing some notes inside of there, we're gonna be in chapter 28 today. I forgot to look at what page it is. So someone yell out what page it is. I, I forgot to give our, our uh, slide person the page number. Acts chapter one is on page... 1090? 1090. Okay, 1090. Acts chapter 1. And so verse 3, so, so what we know about this about Acts is he starts in verse 1 saying he's, this is the second volume. He's already written a book. So this is written by the, the author is Luke. He wrote the gospel of Luke. So he wrote, the, uh, he wrote the story of Jesus. Luke is a historian. So he wants details. So he's going to give you kind of how it happened, how it goes. So in in the book of Luke, he writes about the story of Jesus. Now in the book of Acts, he's going to talk about what happened next. So notice what he says in verse 3. He says this, that after his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was still alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Okay, Verse four, it says this, that on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now this is kind of the key text and I'm gonna kind of move fastly through the rest of the book of Acts, but what I'm gonna try to help you see is this part happening, kind of coming alive. We can take this as kind of a a center point. Watch how this begins to happen in the book of Acts and what happens. So think about this. What does Jesus say? He says, I'm leaving. So wait, don't do anything. Just wait, and I'm going to send you a gift. 
Now, can you imagine what that must have felt like? I mean, you've just spent 40 days looking at the one who's been leading you for three years and it, your, your mind is blown because, I mean, you know, you saw him die and he's alive and he's giving, notice what it said, he's giving many convincing proofs of his resurrection. So they are, they are so radically changed by this truth. But Jesus says, I'm not done yet. Wait, there's a power that's gonna come and notice what the power is for so that, you can be my witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness tells about what they've seen, what they've heard. You're going to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, and then you're going to spread out into the surrounding areas in, in uh, Judea and Samaria. Samaria is their, their enemies. You're going to even go to people that you're hostile towards, and then you're going to go to the very ends of the earth. And so they wait, and they wait. In fact, it, it, I love how it, it says, so they waited, they prayed. In fact, the Bible says this, that they, there was this, uh, uh, they they picked another apostle to replace uh, Judas, and then it happened. Here's our first point. An unstoppable power was released. An unstoppable power was released. Now, the timing of what was happening. So this is 50 days after Passover. It's 50 days after the cross. Jesus died during this time. And so 50 days after Passover was a time where they celebrated something called Pentecost. So good God-fearing Jews, uh, again, would pilgrimage into uh, Jerusalem. So you had people from all different areas, all different kind of cultural and languages and things like that. But they were God-fearing Jews. And they would come into this place. It was a time to celebrate the harvest. It was a time to celebrate how God had given the law to Moses. So all the people, there's all these people uh, in Jerusalem at this time. And, all, and there's about 120 believers at this time. They're, they're kind of up in this room and it happens. Chapter uh, 2, verse 1 says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated... And came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now something very, very powerful is happening in this moment. And let me try to, let me try to illustrate it a little bit. Um, try to help us understand the story. So us and God, if we, if we think about chapter one of the story, us and God, we're, we're close. We're in relationships. Chapter one begins, creation, we're made for relationship. But we, we've, we learn even in the very first chapter of the story, chapter three of the Bible, that we, we ruin that relationship. We rebel. And what happens is, is that relationship, we become separated from God. And so we begin to go through chapter after chapter and see that the, the way that God began to interact with his people was he would come through a vision. So he'd come, he'd give a vision, and then he'd go. Or he'd come, like think about when he came to Moses, the burning bush. He comes, take off your sandals, it's holy ground. What makes it holy? God is there. Okay, and then he leaves. Then he does this cool thing. He's, he, gives this, he tells Moses, he goes, you're going to create this tent this tabernacle, you're going to place it right at the center of the camp and everyone's going to build their camp, their, their little tents around. I'm going to be at the very center of them. And so they built this tent and God's presence would come and they'd worship and they'd do and then it would be gone. And so all through that, then they build the temple. Again, the temple's right at the center of the city. Then everything's built around. But in the temple, 
I mean, imagine taking, uh, you know, you take a little auto up into there. I want to see, I want to see, see God. It's like, no, 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 you can't go do that. Well, why not? Well, only the priest can go into the most holy place. And he can only go once a year. But I want to go. No, they'll kill you. You'll die if you go in there. Okay? And so all our experience up to that point is kind of experience of God, and then it's over. And then think about six chapters ago. He comes. Jesus is described as they, they will call him Emmanuel. Why? Because God is with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. And so the, 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 the presence of God is he's with us. And think about how, how I mean, talk about close. I mean, think of the stories. The, the kids would run up and jump on his lap. Uh, people would, would come to him. There, think of the, there, there's a woman who's, she's so broken by the, the mercy she's received. She starts to cry and her tears are hitting Jesus' feet. She's washing his feet with her hair. I mean, this is close. And how do we respond to this closeness? No, thanks. Crucify him. Break that apart. Now, if that was your son, how would you respond? How does God respond? He does the most unthinkable thing, and we see it. And and I want you to notice again in this passage what it says happened. That tongues of fire came, they separated. They separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. God says, you want close? I'll give you close. If I can get in there. This is you now. That his spirit, his, and the spirit of God is the presence of God. The presence of God, the spirit of God is now dwelling within them. In fact, later, uh, the, the Corinthians church would be told this, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you received from God? See, some of you thought, oh man, I just want to have an, an experience of God today. So you got in your car, let's get in your car, let's drive to Beach Point, let's go to church, let's walk in that building. I want to feel God today. I want to be in his presence. You can't get any more presence than this, okay? You, you are the temple. The, the spirit of God through faith now dwells within you. And this is, a, this is a big moment and you see what happens. Filled with the spirit, they go out they begin to speak, and there's some kind of miracle. We don't know what happens. If it's through the talking or through the hearing, we don't know. But as all the apostles, as ever, they all run out, they begin to speak to these crowds. But everyone knows something weird is going on because they're looking around. They're thinking, Where, we speak this language, you speak this language, but we're all hearing the message in our own tongue. How is this working? And some of them think, oh, these guys are just drunk. It's just such a crazy moment. And I love Peter's response. Guys, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I mean, if it was three in the afternoon, maybe. But it, guys, it's nine in the morning. Give us a break. And he begins to share about the resurrection. And he begins to share about the, this life that he can have. And he begins to say something about what they're seeing. And he's saying, this, what you're seeing, 
is that we have God's spirit in us. And you can have this as well. And he invites them to faith. And it says that 3,000 people uh, responded in that day to have this new, not only is it a new experience, it's a new offer that they too could experience God's spirit within them, God's presence within them. And this did something, this begins, this is our second point, an unstoppable people were commissioned. An unstoppable people were commissioned. See, in this moment, this is the day the church begins. And, the, and what we see about the church, and what I love about Luke is, so Luke is telling all these stories, but at the end of chapter 2, he gives, um, he gives kind of a portrait. Instead of a snapshot, instead of an action photo where you can kind of get into it, he gives kind of a portrait of what the church was like. And he says these words. He says, let me tell you what the first church was like. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I don't know if you see it, but spirit-filled people love God. They love one another and they love the world. These people love God. They were devoted to worship, to learning, to growing. They, they didn't want to just get information. They didn't want to just learn the scriptures. They were relearning the scriptures and, and trying to understand how to live them out. They were devoted to God. They were devoted to one another. Do you notice this? If anyone had a need, they met it. They figured it out between them. That's why today we could say to you, uh, hey, there's a family in our church. And part of their 8 to 15, part of their social network is that one of their employees. And they want to bless them. And so we're asking, come around uh, Brian and Mike and their families who want to bless this family. And saying, eat pizza for dinner tonight. Okay? Go buy some pizzas. Eat pizza. Your kids won't complain. Okay? But we can bless uh, the Levines. And we can bless this family. Because that's what the church was like. In fact, what you notice is this, is that uh, notice how that daily people are being added in. Why? Because they were so different. They saw something, the way they cared for each other, the way they did things. Uh, some people have said it this way, that their, their good deeds created goodwill, which gave opportunity for good news. See, they, they would do these things. They would care for each other in such a way that people thought, wow, this is revolutionary. And, and it created kind of a stirring in their heart. And they say, why are you like this? Because we found life in Jesus. He's alive and he's filled us. And he, he prompts us to do these things. We don't do it by our own power. We do it because he's, he's, he's in us. And he's, he's inviting us to this. And you can know this power too. You can know his presence too. And people were coming and coming into this, this life together. See, I want you to see something that the church is not an audience. They're not looking to be entertained. They're not consumers shopping for religious goods and services. They're not, they're not patrons who come and sit down and expect to be served. They love and they serve. 
the church is active, and this is why we, we just did that, that exercise together, this worship uh, moment together, blessing these families. This is who they were. And, and what you begin to see is that church is at its best when it's loving God, when it's loving one another, when it's loving the world, and when it's doing that, it can't be stopped. It won't be stopped. Here's the last thing I want you to see is that uh, there was an unstoppable purpose. And there's an unstoppable purpose that continues to this day. It, it didn't just happen in those first days, but you're going to see as we kind of, I'm going I'm to take you kind of through a quick sprint through the next few chapters of, of Acts, just try to kind of get the big idea of it. But I want you to see it wasn't contained in that moment. In fact, why we're here today is that this purpose, this purpose continues even to this day. And the church began to live out the mission of Jesus, which was what? Be my witnesses. Okay, remember he had said to them earlier, uh, you go into the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, teach them to obey everything I've commanded, and I will be with you always. How is that going to work? Well, now we're starting to see how that works. Filled with his spirit, filled with his presence, filled with his power, they now become his witnesses. And this creates a problem for the authorities. Because remember, Jesus had these, the religious authorities did not like Jesus. In fact, they, they were the ones who, who orchestrated this, this uh, uh, crucifixion. Now, Jesus wasn't killed. He allowed himself. He was given his life. But remember, these, these folks had opposition. Now they're facing two big problems. And it's fascinating. Read the book of Acts and you will notice something. They were concerned about a resurrection, a fake resurrection. So remember, they put guards in front of the tomb. They sealed the tomb so that if anyone tampered with it, they would know. And on Sunday, stone roll away, body gone. Now we know they didn't go to the wrong tomb because they would have gone to the right tomb, taken the corpse, throw it up on a post. There's your Messiah. They can't, they, can't, they can't figure out. They can't explain what has happened. But notice, you're going to see, they're going to put the pressure on these early followers and these early followers don't flinch. And this is exciting for us as we look at reason for our faith. The disciples, they did not flinch. They were unstoppable. And so here's the problem they've got. Not only do they have a resurrection issue going on, but now they have thousands of little Jesuses running around. They have thousands of, of little Christs running around. In fact, we'll see at some point, someone used this phrase Christian, not as a compliment, but kind of derogatory. Christian, the word Christian means little Christ. We didn't call ourselves that. Someone else called us that and it stuck. But Christian means little Christ. And there's all these little Christs running around. And now they've got this problem. They don't just got these 12 guys. They've got thousands of believers that they have to deal with. And so they threaten them. But the movement is unstoppable. In fact, we read about Peter and John. They go into the temple one day to pray and they come across this beggar, probably a beggar they've come across many times. He'd been there for decades. And prompted by the Spirit to do something they never would have thought of on their own, when he asked for a handout, they said, instead, silver and gold we don't have, but here's what we do have. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. They reach out, they pick him up. And a man who'd been crippled and begging in front there, for decades, gets up. He doesn't just walk. It says that he begins to, to leap and to jump as you would if you hadn't stood on your feet in years and years and years. And the people are amazed and they're asking, how did you do this? 
And they're saying, it's not our power. We do this in the name of Jesus. It is his power. He is the one who's doing it. He prompted us. It was his power going through. We're just the vessel. And the people are amazed. And everyone is kind of caught up in this. And it says that, that the believers grew to 5,000. And the authorities start asking this question. How did you do this? What, is, what, what name, what authority, what power are you getting to do this? And they're saying, it's not us. It's Jesus. You killed him, but God raised him. And he's alive and we're filled with his spirit. And that's what you're seeing. It's not us. It's him. And they tell them, they tell Peter and John, stop this. Stop he, that he, Jesus is dead. Stop deceiving the people. Stop blaming this on us. And listen to their response. They say this. Then they called them in again, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judge. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. They're saying, look, there's a power in us that's unstoppable. I can't stop it. I can't stop talking about what I've seen. He's alive. I can't stop talking about what I've heard. He's told me to do this. So do what you want to me, but I can't stop. You can't tell me to stop. Now, I love what happens. They go back and they pray. They have the apostles update. They're not talking about boring things like budgets and buildings and that stuff. But they tell about what happens. And listen to their prayer. Their prayer is this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, heal and perform signs and wonders to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They ask, God, fill us, make us stronger through your spirit. Help us. Help us speak more boldly. Help us do things that will show people who you are. And the room shakes. And what does it say they do? They go and they speak the word boldly. Give us more boldness. Do even greater things. And they go. So, so the authorities decide this. Arrest them. Don't threaten them, arrest them. They keep doing all these miracles. They keep doing things more people are believing. So they round up all the apostles. They put them in prison. That night, an angel comes, unlocks the door, says, hey, here's the word. Get out in the morning, be in the temple courts, proclaim Jesus, tell everybody about Jesus. They all leave. Angel closes the door, locks it back up. Guard, awake. The morning they come, go get them. Guards are all there, doors locked, no apostles. Where are they at? You guys don't want to hear this. They're inside the temple courts and they're talking about Jesus. Ah, man. And so now they got to figure out what are we going to do? Like the miracles are happening right in front of us, but they cannot see, they cannot do it. So they decide, look, if we, we got to be careful how we do this. One of their scholars says, be careful. If we're fighting God, we're going to lose. Be careful. So they they, they round them up kind of gently. They have this kind of firm conversation. And once again, they tell them, you cannot talk about this guy any longer. They beat him and they let him go. 
And it's very interesting. Before, they, they, this, before this happens, they, they're appearing before him. Listen again to their words. Uh, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to the right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness of sins. Notice what he's saying. Look, Jesus came not to condemn you, to rescue you, to save you. Stop resisting this. Simply just change your mind about him. Repentance means to change your mind, change your way, embrace him. He said, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. If you will simply repent, if you'll turn to him, if you obey him, you can have his, his spirit as well. You can have this power. And despite the threats and the rest, they keep telling him. And they want to kill him, but they're, they're talked out of it. Uh, they beat him and they let him go. And, and what we see is that they never, they couldn't stop. They won't stop. They leave they're, they're rejoicing that they got to suffer just like Jesus did. That's how unstoppable they were. And so as they continue to go, so they, they're not getting anywhere. Can't threaten them, can't arrest them, kill them. And so one of the new leaders that they've risen, raised up is a guy named Stephen. Again, he's passionate. He's telling about Jesus. The people get so angry, they drag him out in the street they, they, they take their coats off and they lay them at the feet of a man named Saul of Tarsus who's standing there watching. They pick up stones and they crush Stephen's head. And in that day, this great persecution breaks out. But even as they, they did that very thing, uh, they could not stop the church. They could not stop this movement of, of, the, of Jesus. And this great persecution broke out against the church but notice what happens. It says this that in, in Acts chapter 8, it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women, put them in prison. Those who had been scattered uh, preached the word wherever they went. So the persecution comes and notice God is even using this very difficult thing. He's pushing them out now into Judea and Samaria. Just remember he said, you're going to go into these areas. And despite everything that's happening, they cannot stop talking about Jesus. And they're telling about him that he's been raised. And, and, and this key moment, uh, Luke wants you to know that there's this key guy who's creating all this, he, he got so fired up in this moment. He wants to please God. And so he makes it his personal mission. He's going to uh, 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 extinguish Christianity. And Saul of Tarsus becomes the number one enemy of the church and he begins to hunt him. That's what we'll do next. We'll hunt them down. We'll drag them off. We'll kill them if we need to. But I will make it my mission to destroy this movement. So remember what God has said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. But we've got to get this to the ends of the earth. Who can I use to take this to the ends of the earth? I know. Let's use Saul of Tarsus, my number one enemy. So Saul is breathing down threats. 
against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. He asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he replied, now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now, if you're a Christian, you should just smile there for a second. This, this is awesome. See, um, Saul, who we'll learn a little bit more next week, uh, he becomes known from uh, chapter 13 on as Paul. Uh, God, God is going to use his number one enemy to be his number one servant. And Paul uses these words, and some of you totally relate to it. He talks about, like, basically, there was no one who was a bigger sinner than me. And he uses this phrase, but I was shown mercy. Some of you are thinking, why in the world did God invite me to be his child when I'm so rebellious, I've done all these things. There's nothing I've done to show him or prove to him that I deserve his love and his acceptance. Paul would say, trust me, I get it. But here's what happened to you and here's what happened to me. We were shown mercy. See, you were designed to be in a relationship with God and God loves you so much. No matter where you have been in this last season of your life, you are designed to know God, to experience a deep relationship with him. He wants to fill your life with his presence and his power. This is who you were made to to be. And Paul, as we'll see, begins to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. See, the resurrection of Jesus Christ began an unstoppable movement that continues to this day. Friends, you are invited to join into this. So let me, let me give you a, a, an opportunity to respond. See, God is inviting you to be a part of his unstoppable people now and forever. He, he simply said it this way. He said this, when the people said, well, what must we do? In the very first sermon that was preached, Peter proclaims it all. Here's what happened. And they said, well, what must we do? Peter said this, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Repentance means it's a change of thought. It's a change of direction. It means stop going the way you're going. Turn, turn yourself towards God. And baptism is a a word that means to dip or to immerse, to plunge. You are to plunge yourself into Jesus. Stop the way you're going. Immerse yourself into Jesus. It's, it's, it's turn and then believe. It's, it's repent and believe. And when these things come together, he says something happens. You will experience the forgiveness of sins. In one place he says, uh, the washing away of your sins so that times of refreshment may come. And baptism is this incredible moment in which we outwardly proclaim what's going on inside our heart. Our old life is gone. It's dead. It's buried. 
It's now been immersed in the life of Jesus and we've risen to live this new life. And I want to encourage you, some of you today are ready. You're ready. You know it is time to turn, to turn the way you're going and turn towards God and embrace the life he has for you. To say, yes, I want you and I need your forgiveness and I want to be filled with your spirit. He says, repent, believe, be baptized, immerse your life. And I would say some of you, you've done the part of believing. Baptism is is next for you. And I want to tell you on, on May 21st, we are having a baptism. And if you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you uh, to be baptized. Uh, and some of you are thinking, but I got, I, I got some work to do. I got to clean up all these things in my life. And you're going to notice in the book of Acts, there's not a lot of cleaning that happens. They, they hear the message, they respond, and they're baptized. We're not baptized after we get everything figured out. We're baptized because we know we didn't deserve it in the first place. But now we're living a life in him, with him. This is who I am now. Doesn't mean I'm not going to struggle. Doesn't mean I'm not going to have problems along the way. But this is who I am now. And so we're declaring to the world, this is, this is what it is. And I want to encourage you. And if the beach freaks you out, um, talk to me. We'll put you in the hot tub back there, okay? Christians, has the resurrection changed you? Has it changed you? Is the, has the spirit dwelling in you? Does this, does this make you different? Are you letting his spirit lead you, guide you, empower you? I mean, it wasn't Peter's idea to reach out and grab that guy's hand, but Jesus, the, the spirit is prompting him. He, and Peter knows it's not my power, it's his. Are you letting the resurrection of Jesus change you? See, the resurrection changed everything there with them. And we're going to read story after story after story. Everything they tried to do to stop them, they couldn't stop them. And, and the story is going to continue until the day he comes again. The church, try as they might, the church will never be stopped. And Jesus will return for her. And it talks about this kind of beautiful image. And it's, it's this incredible image. Gosh, I don't want to give away chapter 31. But it's this great image. And, so, and some of you know this. Some of you can think back to your wedding day. That moment where your eyes met. A bride and groom prepared for each other and their eyes meet. And there's this kind of sense that this is this moment when he comes and everything we've been waiting for now ready to happen. He says, until that day comes, here's what I need for you to do. I will give you the power, but you must now go into the world. You must be my witnesses. We have to bless this community. Has the resurrection changed you? So let's bow together. Let's pray. I'm going to give you a moment of silence and then uh, the team will lead you in some final songs as we close today. But here, let me just say this. If you have not come to a place of belief and faith right now, turn to him. He's here. He's listening. Tell Jesus, Jesus, come. Fill my life with your presence, your power. Wash away my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I want to belong to you. Put it in your words. Share what comes to your heart. Christian friends, has the resurrection changed you?
And if, it, if it's been a bad season, that's okay. Confess that. Tell him that. But ask for his power. Ask for bold. Remember that prayer? Oh, God, give us boldness that we live differently and that the world would see, that the world would know, and that we would serve you the way you deserve to be served. Take a moment. Make your prayer. And in just a moment, we'll, we'll close that.